Hello, listeners. Man, January is just draining away so fast. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of My Sister Made Me View It, Books Edition, Megan's Choice, covering Brandon Sanderson's The Way of Kings. I got nothing. Take it away, theme song. Welcome, 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 everyone, to My Sister Made Me View It, a Yay! podcast <laughs> where we have now convinced each other to watch and read our favorite stuff. Uh, this is our books edition. We are covering The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. Um, chapters. Oh, I have the next set of chapters bookmarked, but I don't have our current set of chapters. Through. Yes, I know. I need that. I need the titles, too, is the thing. 41, Of Alds and Milp, 42, Beggars and Barmaids, 43, The Wretch, and 44, The Weeping. It's the worst chapter so far, you guys. So Emily, what was your general thoughts on this chapter? Don't read this book. It will only bring you pain. Well, you've changed your tune <laughs> Ugh. you guys we have so much to talk about before we get to that chapter so much to talk uh, about but oh that chapter so generally after way of kings uh i'm just so excited for emily to find out what happens next that after we record our episodes i'll read her uh what happens next and we did four chapters this week, which is, you know, like a lot to cover. And it was late at night when we finished because we'd also done a Hill House. We had to do Hill House first because it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> so I read Emily 41, 42, and then we were both falling asleep. So I'm like, okay, well, we'll skip. What I really just want to read you is the flashback. And she's like, why? <laughs> I'm like, oh, nice. I just want to hear it. Oh, bad. Because uh, we're getting a few more clues as to how did Tien die? I hate it. And Emily, how do you how do you think it happened? I hate it. I I hate it. I hate it. I'm on Kaladin's side, a hundred percent. Light eyes are the freaking worst. Nice. Well, we're gonna rewind first. We actually had two flashback chapters this time, mm-hmm. and our first one was of Alds and Milp five and a half years ago, and it's another surgery scene. Emily, who? is in the surgery. Uh, so what has happened is that Bright Lord Rashon and Riller have gone off to hunt these things called white spines. We don't have any pictures of them, but they seem incredibly dangerous. And both of them have come back super injured. Uh, the whole thing was a bust. And what's happened is Kaladin walks in on the surgery and he it looks like just red paint has been spilled everywhere on the floor because there is so much blood and these people are so injured. And Laurel is there screaming, asking, you know, just telling them to do something, do anything. And Kaladin's dad is there working on him. Kaladin is there. Their mom even comes in to help work. Um, but Kaladin's dad realizes quite early off that Riller is too far gone to be saved. And so he leaves the Bright Lord's son there to, not to die, but he's, he 
There's no yeah. way he can save There's him. There's nothing he can do. There's nothing he can do. And he goes to work on Bright Lord Rashon. And during this chapter, Riller does die. Um, because there's nothing that they can do about it. And we find out uh, later that these people went to hunt this for fun. And they, Hey, Emily, guess what? What? They actually mentioned this during the last flashback episode where Kaladin's sitting in the kitchen um, and Riller's complaining that there's just nothing to do here. I'll have to convince Father to go out on a hunt. Oh. Ooh. It is just... It's really awful because in the moment, like, was it Liren? Who's who's the dad? Yep. Liren and Kaladin are later talking. Because something else happens. We'll go back to it in a second. But Liren and Kaladin are later talking that men like Bright Lord Rashon can't hunt men. So they go hunt beasts instead. And this was something that people know better. Like Kaladin was horrified when he realized that's what they had been doing. Like the townspeople know better than to do this. Um, but somehow Bright Lord Rashon, I'm not going to say convinced. I'm pretty sure he made people come along because two. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a hunting party. Yeah. Go hunting. Go hunting with the Bright Lord who has this weird, I'm not telling you what to do, but here's what you should do. Hold on the whole town. I, oh, mm-hmm. oh, the injustice of it all. It's just real bad. And Emily, uh, where does the chapter title come from? So I was very confused because um, it's called Of Alds and Milp. And I thought we were going to learn about new animals or new creatures because mm-hmm. they're kind of weird names. Alds and Milp apparently are two villagers that went with them and have not returned. Rashon left them behind in order to get his son back to the camp and people are just pretty much convinced that they're dead. They've gone off to, like, find their bodies. But they have to be careful because the white spines mm-hmm. are still out there. Um, yeah. And I found it interesting that the chapter was the title of two people that we've never met and we never see. I just thought that was that was interesting yeah. that they're the casualties of this person's stupidity. I really liked the surgery scene itself. I mean, this is an era with limited technology, but it felt like being in a Grey's Anatomy episode <laughs> and we <laughs> where Dr. McDreamy might say suction and you know you have a nurse come in there with the tube and be like <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and said like it's Kaladin's job to pour water in the wound to rinse away the blood so his dad can see and like Kaladin's also the anesthesiologist they have something like chloroform that they can like use to give each other but there's a moment in the surgery where his dad is working on Bright Lord Rashon. And also Rashon is like screaming for them to take care of his son. And so he knows that Liren like left his son to come work on him. There's a moment where Kaladin sees his dad could kill Rashon during surgery. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's pulling conscious. Yeah. Oh, you go. He's pulling out the, the bones, the splinters of these white spines and Kaladin's looking at it and his dad has like the tweezers or something and it's right by the femoral is it the femoral artery yep in the leg and listen guys if your femoral artery gets nope nope. femoral is arm i think i think break no brachial arteries arm femoral arteries leg yeah you were right basically kaladin and their dad have the and his dad has the same idea because they both look at each other and kaladin's like if this gets cut this guy's gonna bleed out and 
that would pretty much solve all our problems. And he's wondering if his dad is going to do it. And his father doesn't. He looks at Kaladin and then doesn't doesn't cut the femoral artery. Because Kaladin's just like, we could have got away with it. Like, mm-hmm. we really could have. And later he talks about, he's talking to his dad about, I saw inside a man today. And his dad's like, yeah, I know that was tough. And that was a really hard surgery. And I'm surprised you're not out here crying. You're learning. And Kaladin's like, that's not what I'm talking about. He's just like, why? He's not upset, but he's very confused i guess he's just like why didn't you kill him well yeah i think he's first so kaladin uh really comes around in this episode to a new viewpoint and he's becoming so like when we first meet flashback kaladin he cries when he sees blood and he's you know very much like a little boy and he's coming closer and closer to the kaladin we know in the present um and we see inside his head and and he realizes I could kill someone if it would save other people's lives. Mm-hmm. Some people just need to be gotten rid of. Yep. Yep. Oh, no. Oh, no? Poor Kaladin. Poor Kaladin. And so here's here's the interesting thing, because he asks his dad, basically, why didn't you do this? And his dad says, somebody has to start. Somebody has to step forward and do what is right because it is right. If nobody starts, then others cannot follow. And I... Brandon Sanderson is doing such a good job at exploring these two very different sides of the coin, I guess. Yeah. His like viewpoints. Listen. Listen, guys. If anybody comes after my family, I would have no hesitation in taking care of that person with like the dull end of a pen. I'm not even kidding you. But, like, Liren has has taken all of these oaths, and he thinks the best way is to change... He's trying to change the world by setting an example. And Kaladin wants to change the world by taking action. Mm-hmm. And they're both... Okay, guys, murder is wrong. <laughs> murder is wrong. <laughs> yep. But I'm super, especially after what happens, no one can tell the future. It's against the rules in this one anyway. But if Kaladin had been the one in charge and had let Rashon die, his life would have turned out extremely different, which we will come to find out. And in yeah. that moment, I was so upset with Liren that he didn't take steps to protect his family. I was very upset with him in this chapter, even though, guys, murder is wrong. I am not arguing that point at all. But, like, in this, I don't know, to protect your family, I think I'd be willing to go to extreme lengths. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Listen, if I was sitting there with a knife. Okay. Anyways. Anyways. We're not going to get listen, into that. You never, you never know until it's time. But That's right. Yeah. But, yeah, Kaladin later does say, like, he could kill if he needed to. Just like you said, Meg. He's uh, kind of come that one step further to who he is. And you mentioned we didn't get a picture of a white spine, but we do get a picture of another creature from this world. If you mm-hmm. turn to page 722, just the beginning of the chapter. Yeah. It looks better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> what is it, Emily? It's an axe hound. It's, it's I guess, their version of a dog. Uh-huh. We've, but it, we've seen a couple earlier. Non-Balot has an axe hound that he mm-hmm. loves. That, that he, he loves and isn't going to pull the legs off of, I hope. Yep. But this wow. thing, okay, this thing is a mix between a sea turtle, a cockroach, and a moth. 
that's that's a very apt description thank you thank you it's got like the moth feathery things on top of its head its face looks like like it has a shape of a sea turtle's face sort of Mm-hmm. But then it has like big old mandible. Oh, I don't like it. Listen, guys, I lived in Texas for a while, and there are few things that will wake you up in the morning, like opening a cupboard and finding a cockroach <laughs> the size of your palm sitting in your bathroom, like inside your bathroom cupboard. Okay, that will mm-hmm. wake you up. That will wake you up. And start your day off horribly because you got to go to the store and buy a new toothbrush because it's awful. It's awful. Gross. Um, I had a question. Uh-huh. So they are saying once once the surgery is over, they need to have the soul casters come take care of the body. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> my question is, I don't know what their burial rituals are like. Do the soul casters carve out a tomb inside the stone? Do they change the bodies into crystal? Are their cemeteries just statues of people who were once real bodies but now they're statues? Well, we are going to have to keep reading the book because they do talk, they'll, they'll touch on it a little more as the book goes on. Okay. Also, I have another question. All right. Um, I love questions. You guys are getting, you're going to get a bunch of crazy out there theories today, but I, these were very good chapters. Laurel at the beginning is, is screaming and she says, he was where it happened. Is that, am I just reading way too far into this or is there going to be more to this story after, after this? No. I, I think she's in shock and panicking. Got it. Got it. Okay. Because, yeah, when you're in shock, you say weird things. because yeah, uh, I can't find my shoe. That's what I said when I got in my car wreck. Really? Yes. My shoe came off. Guys, I got in a really bad car wreck once. Like, the front of the car was gone. And I was walking around with one shoe. And I was just like, has anyone seen my shoe? That was very important to me that I find my shoe in that moment. What were uh, you talking have I, about? Have you ever watched Grey's Anatomy? Yeah. Have you watched the plane crash episode? No, I absolutely refuse okay. to watch that one. <laughs> that's that's Christina. She's trying to find her shoe after oh, the plane goes down. Interesting. Interesting. I actually, I, I, love, I love the super, super dramatic episodes of Grey's Anatomy. And, okay, complete sidebar. So the Supernatural episode where the trickster puts them in all different episodes of TV, mm-hmm. I was listening to the Monster of the Week podcast about that, and they're like, oh yeah, Dr. Sexy is a spoof on Grey's Anatomy. And I was like, what? Because I, had watched, I hadn't watched all of Grey's Anatomy when I had seen Supernatural before, so I just went back to watch like the Dr. Sexy scenes again, and I'm like, oh my gosh, because the guy who plays their dad, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, was also on Grey's Anatomy around the same time as Denny Duquette. And so in Dr. Sexy, they're talking about the ghost that haunts the hospital. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're talking about their dad. <laughs> okay, sorry, keep going. Layers. Uh, uh, <laughs> beggars and barmaids. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, we have like a high storm, regular in their coming, yet always unexpected. The word desolation is used twice in reference to their appearances. Mm-hmm. So I, 
have had several questions about the Voidbringers and the Knights Radiance and the Lost Radiance and the Heralds and all of these things. And I've been really confused thinking I've missed a bunch of stuff. But over the next few chapters, we get more pieces of information that have helped um, kind of solidify that. So we'll also talk about that as well, because Yasna's looking to a bunch of this stuff. Um, and so we're going to get more, more information. So, yeah. But this chapter starts off with uh, Shalon. This is two weeks later after the lesson and after Shalon has stolen Yasna's soul caster, right? Or is it just Fabriel? Uh, it's it's the soul caster. The soul caster. Okay. It is, it is the exact type of Fabriel that is called a soul caster. There we go. So this is two weeks later and Shalon finally tells Yasna, I've decided what you did was legal and right in the strictest sense of the word, but it was not moral and it was not ethical. And Shalon's like, that took you two weeks to come up with. And I'm like, if that's a big, like, listen, I kind of also want to make fun of Shalon, but it's also a very big thing. Shalon has been sheltered. This is her first foray out into the world and kind of her first view of like what the world can be. I'm proud that it only took her two weeks, but I can't believe it also took her two weeks to come to this conclusion. I I also would want to be extremely right before I talked to you. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> but yeah, she talked about like legally you were correct in taking care of this problem, but like morally and ethically like you were way stronger than these people they had no way of expecting this that sort of thing but i also thought this is emily's thought Liren's decision to spare roshar no what's his name rishon rishon ethically was correct but was not right legally legally was correct but morally wasn't right now as a healer i think ethically he has to like I, my personal thing is it wasn't right that he let him live. Okay. In order What's to protect his family. Ethical and moral. I'm, I'm not cheaty Anagonye, okay? I don't know. <laughs> well, I guess you'll have to do a little more research before you want to present your findings to you. No, I'm, <laughs> this is my personal, my personal thing. I think he should have let, I think he should have let the Bright Lord die. Ethically, though, as a surgeon, he couldn't do it, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyways, nice. I found that interesting that there were two big decisions that needed to be made from multiple characters, and they did it for different reasons. All right. Are you ready? I am ready. So I am ready. Sorry, I was, I was looking at pages for something else. But yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> so Shalon has come up with this. She's talking to Yasna, and kind of she's also very worried, always in the back of her head, does Yasna know that I've stolen the soul caster. It's been two weeks. No one has said anything. And she's going through all of these different scenarios in her head. Like maybe Yasna thinks hers got broken. And so she hasn't told anyone because she's trying to fix it. Or maybe she thinks I took it. Why wouldn't she just call me out on it? And she's getting a little paranoid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Here is my, here is my, here's my thing. Here's my guess. Here's my prediction. Guess for me. Tell the future, witch. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I've just said you to the bridge cruise for it, but. (laughs) 
I think Yasna knows about the switch. I think here here's my here's my new thing. I think that Fabriel's here's what would be cool if Fabriel's could tell like like a pet knows its owner sort of a thing. Like Yasda would know if it's not hers. That's what I think and I think she is going to use this as another lesson. I don't know how. So, so I'm wondering if the you, reason... Oh, go ahead. Do you think that she's tried to, to use the broken soul caster and she knows? I don't know if she's used it, but I would think that she could tell it's not hers. Okay. I wonder if it doesn't... It's not reacting to Yasna because, one, it's broken. But two, Shalon can't get it to work. And I'm wondering if the, if the soul caster is like, you're not Yasna, so I'm not going to work for you. Because we also find out later mm-hmm. that... Um, we learn out from Cabal, Capsule, 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 that there's a specific way to use a soul caster by like tapping it. And Shalon's like, Yasna doesn't do it. <laughs> He's like, Yasna doesn't do a lot of things like we would like her to do. And so I wonder if Yasna soul caster isn't responding because it will mm-hmm. only work for Yasna or it's loyal to her or something. So I've got some theories about ownership and and that sort of thing but like i said i think yasna knows the switch has happened and she's just biding her time but then i don't know Mm -hmm. why she would do that because it's such a powerful device i don't know i don't know i don't know because uh when shalon's like the times that shalon caught her using it yasna would just use it for super casual stuff like all the time oh that's right it's, it's like how i don't know like like I like the idea of if I have this super cool technology where I could get something at my fingertips, like there have been times where I didn't have the book and I would just look stuff up online instead of like going to get my book and looking it up in there. Yeah, Yasna uses this incredible, amazing artifact because I don't have a paperweight. Let me just soul cast this wine. And so it would seem like she would use it all the time, even like try to casually use it. And then, oh, I had another question for you. It was Soulcastery stuff. What were we talking? Oh, yeah. Um, Capsule says that you need to touch something and you need to, to tap it. Yasna also doesn't always have to touch something to Soulcast it. Yeah, she doesn't. She's incredibly powerful. And I think it's because she's had this one and has used it so much that she's very attuned to it. Mm-hmm. And so I have a couple, I had a couple other questions. A lot of these are just like little, little things, but... After Yasna and Shalon have this conversation, Yasna tells Shalon she has the day off, which... Oh, wait. Real fast. I want to rewind my favorite part of the conversation where, like, Yas- uh, Shalon presents all of her findings. And Yasna's like, okay. It goes back to her book. And Shalon's like, don't you have anything to say? I just accused you of murder. And Yasna's like... Murder's a legal definition. You said I killed unethically. I'm like, <laughs> nice. Anyway, uh, Shalon gets the day off. Mm-hmm. And she goes back to trying to figure out how to use the soul caster because she can't very well take it back to her family and not know how to use it because the other, the only other person who knew how to use it, their steward, is dead. And so Shalon's kind of their best bet. Real quick. Um 
sending her to her day off. She'll, uh, Yasna gives us the title of our chapter, which is Beggars and Barmaids. Oh, and she's right. like, you can do whatever you want for the rest of the afternoon. I assume you'll spend it drawing Beggars and Barmaids. And this made me think about a couple chapters ago when Shalon was alone and she was studying the little the little creatures on the shale bark. Mm-hmm. I think we're seeing a cultural hole in the studies in academia. Ooh. Because everyone is studying the big, cool, exciting stuff, but we're not getting a lot of history recorded about day-to-day people or like smaller plants and animals, like things like that, which is a reflection of our own histories. Like the one of the earliest books ever written was a poem written by a woman who lived in Japan. All right, so the very first novel um, is called The Tale of Genji, and it was uh, it was written like a thousand years ago. And so this is like the first full fictional novel, um, and it follows the life. And the romance of this character named Genji is written by a woman, Murasaki Shikibu, and it follows life in the royal palace. And so a lot of what we know about that era of history in that particular place, we know a lot about culturally the palace, the fashion, how things worked in there. But there's a big hole because we don't know how the common people lived or what like their day-to-day lives were like. And we're seeing kind of some of that reflected in both uh, Shalon is, I wouldn't say she's looked down upon, but other scholars may think it's weird that she's like, oh, you like the little things, you like studying normal people, you don't want to study exciting history, you don't want to study exciting biology. But that Yasna's having, we're, we're going to find out a little more about Yasna's search in this chapter She's having such a hard time finding out about what she wants to know. That there's only pieces of it left in like folk tales from people who are dark eyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this brings back to something you were talking about a couple episodes ago. Oh, because I've been listening back to our other episodes. You were talking about recipes. You were talking specifically about if someone from ancient times found a recipe today, they may not know. Sorry, I say ancient times. If someone from far future times <laughs> found a recipe today, they may not know that the specific flour we use is wheat flour or the specific eggs we use are chicken eggs because we never specify that in the recipe. And so Yasna is trying to find specifics of the time, but she can't. But it seems like Shalon is the kind of scholar who's interested in the specifics of the present, which I think is cool. That is very cool. Talk over. <laughs> <laughs> Soapbox done. <laughs> so so does Shalon go drawing beggars and barmaids? No, the first thing she does is go back to her quarters and she's trying to work out how the Fabriel works again because she doesn't have a mm-hmm. lot of alone time. And mm-hmm. so she's just trying to figure out every chance she gets. And she's trying to soul cast this stick into something else. There's a stick under her bed. Um, and so this is this is one of the reasons I think she'll, I think Yasna knows Shalon has the Fabriel. And she's trying to figure out how it works. I think Yasna is making Shalon figure it out on her own. I think this is a lesson 
thing. But she is trying to, she's trying to make it work. It's not working at all. So she decides to do some sketching to kind of like clear her mind and then she's going to come back to it. She finds the cavern ceiling in their rooms very, mm-hmm. um, very intriguing. And she can't, she's like, she's going to work in charcoal. So she can't get the color striations, but she's she's still sketching it anyway. And she's getting kind of lost in it. And then... Hey, uh, real fast. Yes. I... I want you to read a paragraph. Okay. And I want you to read... Listen, this is not going to be a gasp moment for you, but I do want to bookmark this, just this, this little moment. Okay. Um, actually, I just wanted to be three paragraphs. Can you just start with, she lay back on the bed resting on 733 and just, just read the stuff of her looking up at the ceiling until she gets to, what are you? Okay. Okay. She lay back on the bed, resting, staring up at the brownstone ceiling, cut like the rest of the conclave directly out of the mountain. Here the stone had been left intentionally rough, evoking the roof of a cave. It was quite beautiful in a subtle way she'd never noticed before, the colors and contours of the rock rippling like a disturbed pond. She took a sheet from her portfolio and began to sketch the rock patterns, one sketch to calm her, and then she would get back to the soul caster. Perhaps she should try it on her other hand again. She couldn't capture the colors of the strata, not in charcoal, but she could record the fascinating way the strata wove together, like a work of art. Had some stone worker cut the ceiling intentionally, crafting this subtle creation, or was it an accident of nature? She smiled, imagining some overworked stonecutter noticing the beautiful grain of the rock and deciding to form a wave pattern for his own personal wonder and sense of beauty. What are you? (gasps) She hears a voice. She hears a voice. Like, clearly, like, someone is in the room with her. And there's obviously nobody there. And so... This happens so infrequently that I forget from chapter to chapter that something's going on with Shalon because there's yeah. so much going on. She did that sketch of the king with figures in the doorway. Something's going on with Shalon. going on. I have so many out there theories. So many. So many. And just thanks, guys, for, like, letting me have this because just thank you. I think she has to almost be in a trance. Like when she's working and she gets lost in her work in order, this, mm-hmm. I'm going to use like Star Trekky phrases, but to like be on this right frequency uh-huh. to hear someone trying to talk to her or something from like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's why all these theories are, are coming out there. But I think that the more she like lets herself go into like a trance almost is when she will start hearing things, which is why she's perfect for Dalinar's family because she's going to get it <laughs> like he gets it. And so I need Adolin and Shalon to hurry up and get together. <laughs> you know, it's just a couple hundred miles. <laughs> What's that That's between even... love? <laughs> so she's freaked out because no one is there. <laughs> this part made me laugh because she's so desperate to find out a reason for this happening that she goes out and she realizes there is a a maid cleaning and she's like, Oh, I must've interpreted the sounds of cleaning to be these words. Silly Shalon. 
And I'm like, oh, honey, you heard these words, but you think you could make the sound of cleaning. Yeah, that's not what happened. Sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh. And like, I think Siobhan kind of knows. She's like, no, no, like those were, those were words. But because this, this woman, uh, this older woman is cleaning Yasna's room specifically, Shalon's like, oh my gosh, and a, a window. She now can have an excuse for searching through Yasna's things. Mm-hmm. Because they had been told by the king that no one would go into Yasna's rooms. Like all the maids specifically know, do not go into this room. Mm-hmm. And Yasna is so particular about who goes in there and who's in. And so Shalon's like, you better go tell Yasna right now that you were in there because if she finds out that you were in there, basically, if she finds out, she's going to be real upset. And so the maid's like, oh, okay, I, I didn't know. And so my now paranoid theories are like, it's a spy. She's a spy. It's a spy. But I don't, I don't know. We, we don't find out if she is or not because Shalon goes into Yasna's room and starts poking around herself. <laughs> she's a spy. <laughs> I'm just like, dang, girl. Like, she's becoming so much more bold. I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She opens up a few of Yasin's notebooks. And Emily, read us just the first excerpt from the the notebook that she opens. Okay, so this is notes on Eurythiru. And it's not a, this one. Oh, not that uh, one. The second book she opens, um, although... Yes, the first book is called oh, Notes on Earth. Got it, got it. She oh. opens a second book and reads some stuff out of it. Oh, yeah. Um, because the way that they uh, take notes is they have one notebook that's, like, very general, and they write everything down. And then they take other notebooks and take pieces of that general notebook. And, like, this notebook will be about this subject from notebook one. And then this notebook will be about another section, another. And so it's it's very complex. And <laughs> I'm just like, I love this. I want to start doing this with what? I don't know. But uh, this one says, The ones of ash and fire who killed like a swarm, relentless before the heralds, noted in Masley, page 337, corroborated by Coldwin and Hasvan. Hasava. Emily, I want you to flip to page 560. Oh my goodness, Megan. And read the epigraph. The ones of ash and fire who killed like a swarm, relentless before the heralds. Oh, hey, guess who guessed that those were Yasna's notes? I think it was me. You did. (laughs) So the ones we see, two more of them match up with epigraphs we've already seen. Mm -hmm. Um, They changed even as we fought them. Like shadows they were, they can transform as the flame dances. Never underestimate them because of what you first see. That is the epigraph opener to chapter 33, Somatics. Mm -hmm. But uh, Emily, yes, all of the epigraphs in part three, Dying, are uh, Yasna's notes. And we've seen some epigraphs about Eurythiru. That's so cool. So this is where I was starting to get confused because we talk, there's mention of Night Radiance, who are apparently also called the Lost Radiance. And I'm like, are these the people from Dalinar's dream? Are they specifically there to fight Voidbringers? And so I've been trying to keep notes where I, I said, Heralds and Radiance <laughs> are different or same. 
And I think we find out later that they are they are different. But we but yeah. We're just gonna have to get you a bunch of different notebooks. <laughs> so I can keep track of this. <laughs> so you can keep specific notes about each theory. Okay. It talks about the war to hold Roshar. Is Roshar, remind me, the world or is it a continent? It is the world. It is the world. So the Roshar horses, Roshadium horses, are they from a specific place in Roshar? Because they're different. If, if you remember. Well, clearly I don't. <laughs> um, I, the very first time I asked you about the Roshadium, mispronounced them as Roshadium. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so what you're thinking is my mispronunciation. Oh, the, no. They're not Roshadium horses. They're Rishadium horses. R H Y. Okay. You led me astray. <laughs> it's my own mistakes coming back to haunt me. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'll try and let that one go then. <laughs> but what was your question about the horses? Oh, just because I thought they were Roshadium Roche- horses from Roshar. If they were like, I don't know. I don't know what my question was. Just if they were from a specific place if Roshar was just the continent but now it's the world and the Rishadium mm-hmm. horses I'm intrigued to find out where those come from as well because but it's it's interesting because most of the animals we've seen are really weird crustacean type mm-hmm. beings and then we just got horses 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 so, horses 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 <laughs> maybe you can keep an eye out for where the horses come from all right also another note in my notebook <laughs> Is Harold's left radiance fell question mark, which I think we find out a little. We will find out a little bit more because we'll talk about that later. But I, I wrote that down because I was, I was, yeah. And you have some questions about shard blades mm-hmm. and how many there are. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a little. <gasps> I'm gonna lay down some breadcrumbs for you in the forest. Pull the curtain back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe the number and type of shard blades have to do with radiance and heralds. <gasps> oh, I'm gonna write that Maybe. down. Hold on. Don't at me, guys. <laughs> Emily has to be so patient reading this book. Like, she's a fast reader. She probably could have done this whole book in under a week. I could have. And right now it's April. We started recording this in November. (laughs) So we are stretching it out for her. (laughs) It's never taken me this long to read a book in my entire life, you guys. But also you've never, uh, I think, heavily discussed a book to this extent. Have you been in a book club? I mean, you're in your writer's group and you discuss each other's books. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. I mean, like... (laughs) English classes in college where we were we were reading like a book a week and like talking Whoa. about it. Let's see. So Shalon talks about uh, how the void bringers, the void bringers again, many people in more rural places whispered of them and other monsters in the dark, the raspings or storm whispers or even the dreaded night spren. So I wrote that down on our spren watch. We have the dreaded night spren. I don't know what that's about, <laughs> but we have a new spren. <laughs> Shallan had been taught by this by stern tutors that these were superstition, fabrications of the lost radiance who used tales of monsters to justify their domination of mankind. 
So here we're getting a little bit of the history, I guess. And so this is where I'm, I was starting to like have all those questions because we find out the Lost Radiance used to be called the Night Radiance. They fought the Voidbringers during the war to hold Roshar. So was the world in danger of being overtaken by these Voidbringers to be destroyed or to be enslaved? I don't know. According to these teachings, it was only after defeating the Voidbringers and the departure of the Heralds that the Radiants had fallen. So Radiants are different than Heralds. I don't know if Heralds, like, started the Radiants and was like, you're a Radiant, you're a Radiant, you're a Radiant. Go fight the Voidbringers. <laughs> what? I'm just picturing... You're radiant. You're radiant. Everyone's a radiant. <laughs> and so Shalon is looking through these notebooks and is very confused as to why Yasna, who's a skeptic, who's a heretic, says Yasna, who denied the existence of the Almighty, could the woman really be so twisted as to deny, as to deny the existence of God, but he ex but accept the existence of his mythological enemies? And so she's very confused. Yasna is a is a myriad of contradictions, but she doesn't get a chance to really wonder about this anymore because there's a knock at the door. She thinks she's caught. It's not Yasna though, it's Capsule, and he's here with more jam, and he wants to take her on a picnic to go eat jam, and she's like, I should really be studying the the um, the soul caster but i'm like yes you should go study the soul caster she's like i'm gonna go eat jam and i'm like shalon i'm not impressed with her at this point because yasna has already told her hey listen has capsule asked you to steal my soul caster yet girl he is only interested in you for your soul caster <laughs> i don't know she's pretty cute smart ginger Ginger, that's true. But it gets to the point as they're talking and, and she's being her usual very clever self. And they are flirting. Flirting. And she's realizing this like, oh man, this is really happening that we're flirting. And then she blurts out, Yasna told me you were going to ask me to help you steal the soul caster. Like oh she kills gosh. the moment dead because she gets so freaked out that they're flirting. And he's like, listen, yeah, but I was told I, I couldn't do that. <laughs> but like, also, you, you say flirting. He also was like, you know, she's like, oh, come on. Uh, ardents are forbid, you know, forbidden to love. They're having some real uh, Anakin Padme flirt vibes. Yeah. Um, and then Capsule's all... I don't have to stay an ardent. And Shalon's like, oh my gosh, abort mission. Because <laughs> she's just, and listen, I've done this. You flirt with a guy you don't think you can get because it's like fun. And then he starts to really flirt back and you're like, oh wait, no, I'm sorry. Um, I've made a huge mistake. You're too good looking. I gotta stop. <laughs> uh, but then she gets to ask him some more tips about how to use a soul caster. Yeah. And he tells her that, like, there's, he's like, it's really easy. You just have to tap it. And that's when she gets really defensive. Like, well, that's not how Yasna does it. Um, and, oh, really quick question before we get into, like, the political ramifications of this. Um, earlier in the chapter, uh, Shalon keeps the 
Soulcaster in her safe pouch. In Is it her left hand? Is that the... Yes. Okay. But she had to earlier sneak it out into a high storm to get it to infuse the gemstones. So they are glowing quite brightly. But I'm wondering, don't they shine out of the fabric in her safe pouch? Um, I'm, I'm sure she's got like a lined safe pouch because if, if you're keeping spheres, just money spheres in your safe pouch, you wouldn't want to like walk around and broadcast the fact that you have like a sleeve full of glowing spheres. Got it. So I'm sure they use like thick enough lining. Um, (laughs) I have right here, uh, my Cersei dress. (laughs) For Halloween a few years ago, I was in a Game of Thrones group costume at work, and I was Cersei. <laughs> um, and so I made one of her, I think, season two dresses, the red one with, like, the big sleeves. Ugh. And so this is what I always use when I think of safe hands, safe sleeves. Uh, so, Emily, here's my big sleeve. <laughs> And it's got like several layers. So I have the outer, the outermost layer and then like this thick inner lining layer. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to turn my phone flashlight on and put it <laughs> in my sleeve. And we're going to see if Emily can see it on camera. So That's... there's the flashlight. Can you see that? Yep. Very bright. Can you see it? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Well, listen, I'm sure it's like leather lined, so it's not woven, but she's actually got some hide in there. Apparently, I would not be safe in the alleyways of Cabrog and would need Yasna to walk with me and take out all the bad guys. (laughs) Can you see it? Yes. Dang it. Well, we tried, you betcha. So they talk a little bit more about the, I guess, the specifics of what would happen if Capsule were to ask Shallan to steal it. Because he's like, well, listen, I'm not going to because that would start like a war. That would start like an international (laughs) war. And Shallan's like, what? (laughs) What? Are you sure? Because the king, Capsule works for the king of Karl Bronth. And if someone were, t- and if, you know, someone under the king's command were to steal the soul caster from the Alethkar's king's Alethi. sister. Thank you. Sorry. If someone were to steal the soul caster from the Alethi, basically like the second in line to the throne. Can she take the throne or is it just dudes? I think it's just dudes. Okay. But she's still of royalty. The, the king of Karl Broth has no, like... He's just like, if that were to happen, I'm almost 100% certain the king would send his armies to Karl Bronth and start a war to get it back because it's very valuable. And let's see, they they, they put it in a much better way. Um, oh, they think the king of Alucard is volatile enough that he'd march to war with Karl Bronth. There's no L in it. Why have I been saying There's it no with an L? L? I was just going <laughs> to. I, I didn't want to correct you because I'm like, I'm sure I've mispronounced it too. But Sorry, guys. That's on me. I apologize. Carl Bromp. <laughs> Carbranth. Okay. So they're like, yeah, he would totally come and wage war on us. Soulcasters aren't shard blades, but they can be equally important. Elokar Colin should be ashamed to let his sister use the Fabriel, particularly so trivial. Anyways, um, because they're like, 
if we were to steal it, there would be repercussions felt across all of Vorin Roshar. Put a pin in Vorin for a second. We're going to come back okay. to that. Ping. Um, most people don't think about it. I didn't. Kings rule and war with shards, but their armies subsist through soul casters. Do you have any idea the kinds of supply lines and support personnel soul casters replace? Without them, warfare is virtually impossible. You need hundreds of wagons filled with food every month. And so this is again brought back to why it's such a big deal that the king's high princes have not been caught up on their payments to use soul casters. Soul casters are the reason the wars can run. And so now I'm like, well, what if someone were to go and destroy all of them? Can they be remade? Can, like, are they, are they relics? Or, like, what's her name? The, the king's mom creates new fabrials all the time, but are soul casters different? I don't know. I'm spinning out of control over this. <laughs> um, so this was some stuff that... Dalinar was talking about earlier is some of the people some of the high princes want to uh, have farmers start bringing in supplies or even bring farmers out here to the shattered plains Mm -hmm. to start growing food and Dalinar's like "Ooh, if they do that they'll they'll like stop relying on the king's soul casters Um, I mean having the markets here where you can trade and barter and have stuff imported that's like enough of a redundancy in the system already that he doesn't want like more supply lines coming out and one of the high princes was trying to do trades with sadius for wood because sadius controls the only like really big forest in the area Mm -hmm. and sadius um in agreement with dalinar he super raises the price for lumber so people are now more reliant on the king's soul casters got it Got it. Listen, it's it takes a lot of logistics to do uh to fight wars. Yeah, it's expensive. You got to feed all your people and clothe all your people, and yeah. And because it's so expensive, uh, most wars have economic reasons behind fighting them. Mm-hmm. And in the case of this book, it's the gems on the shattered plains are worth so much it's worth the loss of life the equipment and the uh money it needs to sustain this conflict because they've already hunted one species to the point of extinction mm-hmm. Ugh. Ugh. so stupid anyways anyways so they're getting ready to go back in and capsule they see the king and capsule ducks down behind a bush <laughs> and she's like what are you doing and he's like they think i'm indexing I'm not supposed to be out here. Because <laughs> it's it's the king and another ardent, right? Yes, like a long-faced ardent or something. Yeah. So Okay, here's where I wanted to put a pin in Vorin, because maybe I've forgotten, but they talk about the Vorin Roshar, and then Shalon says standing up in a sleek Vorin dress was difficult. Is that a country? Like, like a fashion? Like, oh, I got this from Paris, France, or what? what is Vorin? Vorin is their religion. Oh. Oh, okay. So when they say Vorin Roshar, mm-hmm. it's all of the countries that are mainly uh, that religion. So like Shalon is not from Alethkar. She's from Yaakoved, but she, uh, her, fam- her father's a very devout Vorin, it told us early on. Um, so she's got the, uh, the dress, their cut is like, it's really tight around the bust and waist, and then it flares into bigger skirts at the bottom. So it's, yeah. 
Okay, that makes more sense. Sorry, yeah. guys, that I can't remember and keep everything straight. You can't remember a line from a book from eight months ago? You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, and as he, as Capsule is leaving for the day, he's like, you know, if I decide to leave, like, he's bringing this up again. He's like, that's going to be my choice. They can't forbid it. And Shalon again is like, what have I done? <laughs> uh, Emily? Do you ship Shalon and Capsule? I don't. I ship okay. them intellectually. Okay. But I want I want it to be Adolin. Listen, listen to your heart. Follow your heart's true desire. <laughs> and I mean, this is just the first book. Maybe later on they'll cross paths. Maybe. <laughs> they part ways and Shalon is still thinking over, she's still thinking over everything, still about the lesson, still about the, you know, how she wants to be a scholar, how this is like, all she's ever wanted is her life right here. But all I ever wanted. <laughs> she says, days spent learning, lunches spent laughing with Capsule, evenings chatting and debating with Yasna, that was what she wanted. And those were parts of her life that were complete lies. So it, it's not like she really even has this because she's here under false pretenses. And when she gets back to her quarters or something, there's a letter from the ship's captain that she rode with. And she had earlier, I guess just to find out where he was, had inquired, sent him a letter or read span or something. And he's like, hey, we'd be happy to come back and get you. Like he completely misconstrued her, yeah. her letter. But he's like, we'll be there in a week. And his wife even puts in a footnote saying, listen, we'll take you for free if you don't mind doing some work and fixing some ledgers for us. And then Shalon's like, yep, kind of like it's a sign without it being a sign. She's like, yeah. I have a week left to do this stuff. What do I want to spend the week doing? And she realizes it's studying and she goes back to Yasna and Yasna's like, I told you you could have the day off. And she's like, but this is what I want to do. <laughs> So she's she's like, in one week she'd have to leave, but in the meantime, she would let herself pretend a little longer. What do you think Yasna's thinking in this scene? Probably like, mm -hmm, I've rubbed off on her. I It feels very smug in this scene, which, yeah. Listen, I've been that person and I've been on the other receiving end of that of like, well, I told you this is what you wanted. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> Next up, we've got... The Wretch, yeah. which is a Kaladin point of view chapter, and he is it's kind of at the at the bottom of a full-on depressive episode. Mm -hmm. Like, he's got no hope for the future. It's, it's different than just being, like, frustrated. He is, he's down, he's frustrated, he takes it out on the Bridgman, ugh. Anyway, go Emily. This was this was the chapter we'd skipped initially when I was reading them out loud. It's like I just wanted to read the next chapter, Emily, and then we came back to it. I think the next I think day. Yeah, we read it afterwards. Yeah, and then you were like, "Why did we skip this? What? I love this chapter. Why did we skip it?" So take us away, Emily. Take us away. So, like Meg said, he is in the throes of like a full-on depressive episode because he's just come to the realization that no matter what he does, everyone's going to die because Bridgman are bait and there's nothing to be done. He thought he had hope. He doesn't. And he doesn't, he doesn't know what to do yet because 
how are you supposed to tell these people that there's no hope? And so here's here's a question, though. Even in the midst of all this, we get one little hint, one little piece of information. Um, it says, you were supposed to burn prayers to send to send them to the Almighty who waited for his heralds to recapture the t- tranquiline halls. So the Almighty is the Storm Father? Mm, unclear. Unclear. Okay. But the herald's job is to reclaim the tranquiline halls in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. So when they say the heralds left, did they leave or did they die? Unclear. Unclear. Okay. Um, and then I vaguely remember people saying, like, if you die well in battle, you go on to fight to reclaim the tranquiline halls? Yes. Yes? Okay. Okay. Sorry, when I say unclear, that means that it hasn't been specifically spelled out in the book yet. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, thank you. So we're getting even in, like, we're just getting little hints and little little bits and pieces. So I'm, like, writing it all down. Uh, real fast, here's some, here's some Herald Connect the Dots that have been spelled out in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, the ten people in the prologue are the Heralds. Okay, ten prologue people. And so, oh, I'm sorry. I meant in the prelude. Uh. <laughs> um, we know that one of them, Telenalot, uh, is or Tom. They just called him. Is sentenced to hell because they didn't start the re- reincarnation. I don't know if that's the right word, but like the the cycle again. So instead mm-hmm. of them all being reborn or whatever happens, I don't know. That's right. He is not and that's why i think he's the overall villain because being stuck in hell for millennia and centuries is not great so yeah so uh kalak and yezrian are just the two other heralds we've definitely named and spoken to already they were also in the prelude how many swords were there megan (laughs) well there were eight currently in the ground and then when Kalek puts his down, then there's nine. But, you know, there are ten heralds, and then they left town behind, and they became nine. I think we know one other herald's name for sure. It's Shalash, mm-hmm. who Shalon is almost named after. Got it. And Shalash, her statue was missing in the prologue from King Gavilar's, like, hall of statues. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, guys. Flashback. When Shalon is in Yasna's quarters or when she's back in their living space, there is a cup of orange wine. And so Yasna does not follow. The... No, 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 no. Orange is the least intoxicating. Oh, dang it. I thought Remember, it was the middle one. We're making fun of Daladar. We're making fun of Daladar for drinking juice. Right. That's right. Sorry. I, I thought it was like Roy G. Biv and orange was in the middle. But if orange is the... I got it. Got it. Sorry, guys. Ignore. Yeah. Ignore my... And- also, G is the middle of Roy G. Biv. I, Roy, you've got I oh, meant, uh, almost the very beginning. I know. I meant, I thought for some reason red started it so orange wouldn't be all the way at the end of the thing, but yeah. it is. Apologies, guys. Uh, so I guess red would be like Martinelli's. Hawaiian red punch. Is, is cherry Kool-Aid, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, back to this chapter. So... Kaladin is being sad and worried about things when they see a palanquin coming up. Mm, there's a man. New friends. 
New friends. There's a man walking beside it, and there's a woman inside the palanquin. And she introduces herself as Brightness Hashal. Hashal? How do you say that? Do you know? Hashal. Hashal. And her husband, Bright Lord Matal, is the new captain. So they are there to replace Lamoral, who, as you recall, was blamed for uh, Kaladin's side carry that caused so much death and destruction. And Lamoral was executed for this. Yeah, he was. (laughs) And so... um, this whole scene, listen, I don't know if you guys have ever at your place of work or whatever been there when like management changes or some new person comes in and they always have ideas on how to change things and make things better, which to be fair, you should if things are getting, you know, moved around, you're usually brought in to, to improve what's going on. But there are usually two ways it goes. One They're brought in specifically to change things up because things need to be changed. Or two, they've taken it upon themselves to make a bunch of changes. And the latter one is always the hardest one because they're usually... Because she's talking about this brightness here. She's talking about efficiency. We're going to be more efficient. And it just rubbed me the wrong way because I've had managers do that where they're like, we're going to do it this way. And so we do even though maybe we've already tried it that way and it really doesn't work. And they're like, no, it will work this time. And it doesn't. And then everything is terrible for a while because they don't have the understanding or they don't have the background knowledge of like, no, this is why we do it this way. Our system can't handle it any other way. If you want to change it, you've got to bring in a whole new system. And that takes months of preparation and planning. And and usually these type of people don't want to hear that. They just want it different and changed because it was their idea and they want it done this way. So I don't know how this one's going to work out, but her introduction just really rubs me the wrong, wrong way. So I had been in the marching band um, for five years because our uh, high school in order to compete up a size class actually recruited people from the junior high so like all the junior high and high school I did marching band and my senior year after I had worked my way up to being you know drum major student conductor like I'd done all this work and marching band had been my whole life our old instructor left we had a new marching band instructor come in and the first thing he made me do was throw out all of the band's trophies <gasps> no I had to clean out the band room and throw out the last eight years of trophies, five of which were mine, uh, because he didn't want to rely on the past. He wanted us to focus on a new... Anyway, I did not like this guy. He did not like me. It was awful. My senior year was so miserable. I was so sad. I was so sad. I worked my whole life for my senior year of marching band. And this guy and I just didn't get along. And it started from the day he made me throw out all of the trophies. Well, that's a terrible first impression. (laughs) There's really no coming back from that. Nope. That happens to me a lot is I'll like work really hard and get into something. And then like literally everything will change. (laughs) Like when I finally first got into my studio a year later, the person who owned the studio sold it (laughs) and we got brand new corporate ownership instead of single person creative ownership. This has happened to me a lot. It happened to me in the the animation program at BYU as well. The year that I finally got in, um, they decided to completely change how our curriculum was laid out. And then the year after they immediately changed it back because they realized 
right away it wasn't working. <laughs> oh, I would like to stop the struggle, please. <laughs> All right. So this kind of speech is going on and Kaladin does something. I don't know if it's out of, not out of character. I don't know if it's depression talking or what. I don't know. But like, they're like, hey, we're here to replace this guy. And Kaladin's like, how did you get this terrible job then if you are such a big deal, basically? <laughs> like, I think, I think it kind of is the depression. He doesn't care about consequences right now because mm-hmm. nothing matters. And they have one of the soldiers come to beat Kaladin again. And the guy swings the spear butt at him and Kaladin instinctively catches it and goes through his head of how he would take this guy down and how he would defeat him. He's like, well, you do this and this and this. And then he realizes, like, this is only going to get me killed. And so he lets go. And the guy is surprised, one, that Kaladin caught it and then gets angry that Kaladin caught it and like smacks him on the side of the head and Kaladin ends up with a bleeding head wound which is never good and the lady just kind of continues on like whatever and she tells them that from now on to be efficient each bridge duty instead of uh switching around the different chores you know which they know is to keep them busy um they are only going to be assigned to one one chore from now on for bridge four it's chasm duty and that's the only chore they will be doing. And everyone's like, well, this is awful. And so, like, not only is it horrible because of the danger of being down in the chasms all the time, but rock breaking duty or rock gathering duty, that's when they would get their knobweed sap. That's mm-hmm. how they were getting the extra money to feed the army. So it's like, it's not just the fact that they're now in mortal danger constantly all the time, but they now are basically losing their most important supply line. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. Not good at all. So all of this is going through Kaladin's head. He hasn't spoken any of these fears out loud yet, just because I think he's still trying to wrap his head around it. Um, And they're going to chasm duty, and Syl comes, and she can tell something's wrong with him. And they have this conversation about why Kaladin didn't fight the soldier and how Kaladin really could have beaten him. He could have beaten all four of the guards there, how he's really amazing. And okay, so this part, she says, maybe you should have fought them then. Kaladin tells her, I thought you didn't like killing. I hate it, she said, growing more translucent, but I've helped men kill before. What? What? (laughs) So I was trying to follow what she could have done to kill because it sounded like it wasn't something she wanted to do and so megan my notes say is sill was sill truthless okay so that's put uh add it to the list was (laughs) sill dalinar's wife was sill truthless was still a Kaladin's friend. Those are your. Those, those are, are the, my guesses. Those are your guesses so far that I remember. I think you've made others though. But yeah, that was that was that was where my brain went. And because she, she says like she just remembers it faintly, but she says I don't want to talk about it. But it was right to do. I feel it. So, anyways. Oh, killing, killing ethically, is such a thing. Is there, is such, there a such a thing? I don't know. 
Okay, one of the big themes of this place, this conversation they have, is says journey before destination. Oh, yeah. You got mad about that. I think the quote, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. I don't, it's just, I hate that. I hate that saying. I think it's so stupid. No, it's about the destination. That's what you're working to. Not like, I don't know. I don't know. I I think it's stupid. I hate that saying. I don't know why it rubs me completely the wrong way, but it does. Okay. And I'm going to I'm going to go kind of in the other direction based off of Tefton Caledon are are talking about this stuff. Uh, and it includes life before death. Um oh oh no, I'm not going to point something out. <laughs> I, this is something different, though. I, I am going to go about what I, what I was talking about. So there's three sayings. It's life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. And while I agree with you with your frustration about it's not about the destination, that's not what this is. It's just, and Kaladin is turning kind of these phrases over and over because they are like kind of vague phrases. And he sort of comes to his own meaning about it that uh, I connect with a little more. And it's not that, like, the journey is more important than the destination. It's just the journey comes before the destination. And you can be miserable about the journey or you can find joy in the journey while you're getting to your destination. <laughs> but but Kaladin is really thinking over life before death. Oh, can I say um, one, one thing real quick about... Yeah. so. I think one of the reasons is because I get stressed out so easily. So like anytime I travel, the travel part is super stressful because I'm always worried about being late or not getting on the right train or whatever. Like, again, the one time I've been abroad, um, I was traveling by myself the first week and I was traveling from London up to the North Lake District. And it was an all day trip with multiple train changes and not just train changes on the in a platform I'm talking about you had to move buildings across town and I had to find my way from one train station to the next in a place I'd never been and I was only there for 20 minutes at a time trying to navigate my way through because I just wanted to get to the Lake District and it was so incredibly stressful <laughs> I hate the journey I just want to be at the destination real fast I want to we, we jumped ahead a little bit Sorry. Sigzel is the bridgeman who's telling them this. Mm -hmm. He's the one who says that the lost radiance used to say this. Oh, do you know what? Because Sigzel says that the lost radiance used to say this, Emily, I'm going to have you flip to the back cover of your book. Oh, okay. It says, speak. Don't read the stuff in italics, but okay. yeah, that bit at the bottom. It says, speak again the, hall the hallowed oaths, life before death strength before weakness journey before destination the night's radiant must stand again Ooh. so Teft knows these words and if you remember you were asking me when Teft was kneeling over Kaladin on his like deathbed basically mm -hmm. uh and he was like why are you back now why me what is this Teft clearly knows more about this than he's letting on. Mm -hmm. And then 
Tef says this, and everyone's like, what does that mean? And then Sigzel says, it's something the Lost Radiance used to say. Oh. And we're getting... Oh, none of the Bridgman stop and just give us a paragraph of exposition, which <laughs> I know is what Emily really wants. But um, in their like arguing, they're they're fighting back and forth. It's interesting uh, to see what the the current view of the Radiants are, and there's just this one bit. Where is it? Teft says, "I don't like listening to what the light eyes say about the past." They're women, write all the histories you know. <laughs> I can't believe you're arguing about this, Teft Scar said, exasperated. What next? Should we let the Voidbringers steal our hearts? Maybe they're just misunderstood. Or the Parshendi. Maybe we should just let them kill our king whenever they want. <laughs> um, also, Moash is being a little bit of a dark cloud here because when Kaladin's like, we might as well give up, Moash is like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you were too good to be true. <laughs> Moash seems really hurt by, by Kaladin, but he's pretending not to be. Yeah. Like you said, no one's giving us paragraphs of information, but we're getting little bits here and there. So Scar says, who wants the Radiance to return? They betrayed us to the Voidbringers, so we know that. Rock thinks Voidbringers are a fairy tale. And some people are like, no, they're real. And Rock's just like, listen, you guys. You have too much air. It makes your mind soft. It's all right, though. You are still my family, just the dumb ones. <laughs> I thought that was really cute. Uh, so as they're all arguing about this, and you're right, Moash brings up, like, hey, guess what, you guys? Why are we even talking about this? Because guess what? Kaladin, Kaladin just thinks we're <laughs> as good as dead. So nothing else matters. And Kaladin is like, okay, so we've already got a description about the um, chasm duty beforehand, but this time I think Brandon Sanderson really goes out of his way to really hammer home how terrible this is. Because beforehand, I think we found like some older corpses that had already been like, yeah. you know, desiccated sort of. These are like fresh and just starting to bloat sort of a thing. And they're like falling apart and... It's just really, really disgusting. Like, at one point, somebody pukes because it's so gross. And it starts a chain reaction and several other people also get sick. Anyways. Yeah. So I read this chapter out loud to Emily. And the surgery chapter and this, probably the two most gruesome chapters we've had so far. Which is like the, the real, just getting in there, descriptions of how gross it is. Like, if, if you're squeamish plug your ears for five seconds they pull off like a glove or something and all this skin slips off the hand with it yeah (laughs) okay so kaladin is kind of lost in his own thoughts just kind of going over what everyone has talked about um and kind of like the past and the present are all mixed in together and he's thinking about all the times that he's failed and he lists like all these names of the people that he has failed and he realizes that there really is one last thing they can try. And it's to help them stay alive, but not on the battlefield. Kaladin comes up with a plan to escape the bridge crew. And I was like, what? That hadn't even occurred to me that that was a possibility. I was fully expecting this to be like, like the underdogs rise up and everyone 
loves them because they're amazing and look guys, here's this new thing we haven't figured out yet and we can band together. And so, no, they're going to they're going to escape. They're going to run away. Kaladin is just like, okay, this is what we have. Let's make the best of it. We only have to bring back a little bit of like stuff every time we come down here. The rest of the time, I will teach you guys how to fight. And he's just like, yeah, we will. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. We'll probably die. But he's talking about like, if we can overpower like a guard's camp and take off. I thought initially they were going to try and take off in the chasm and run through the chasm. But I think they're going to try and go across the plains, which is crazy because there's high winds and high storms all the time. Mm-hmm. But anyways, we'll see. But yeah, he's like, we're going to escape. And everyone's like, we'll do it. We believe in you. We'll follow you. Because mm-hmm. the thing with the chasms is no one has mapped them all out. Yeah. And down in the chasms you have to worry about chasm fiends and then if there's a high storm while you're down there flash flood territory like the whole thing is like a slot canyon like antelope canyon and stuff Mm -hmm. yep can't can't do it so so they have decided they are going to run yeah that's that's what they've decided (laughs) (laughs) and so yeah i was i was Again, so surprised. I think I have this whole book figured out. And then Brandon Sanderson takes it in a direction that I hadn't even considered. And it's so fun to just be surprised all the time. Because to me, sometimes it seems like a lot of um, current books, YA, adult, everything, follow a very specific formula. Mm -hmm. And I really like that I keep getting surprised. So that is the end of that chapter. And when we turn the page... This, because I'd taken all these notes on like, who are the Radians and who are the Heralds and who are all these things? Well, there is a handy, the history of man uh, page, which you're going to have to help me out though, Megan, because I cannot read all this fancy writing. Okay. So we have, here's the history of man. First, the expulsion, the loss of the Tranquiline Halls. Then comes the desolations. War against the void bringers. A H A R I E T I A O. Okay. Or is um, it N or M? Like it's in the har- fancy oh. like medieval script. Yeah. Okay. A hare. A I've never read. I've never read this word before. <laughs> Just a sec. I have to write it down in normal words to understand it. So it is. I'm going to say that's an M. Okay. Okay. So it's the Aharatium. You wrote it on your arm. That's <laughs> what I've got. I'm going to write it in the book. <laughs> M. The Last Desolation and the Defeat of the Voidbringers. The Recreants. The fall of the Knights Radiant and the hierocracy, the failure of Voronism. Was the hierocracy, that's when um, the Ardents claimed they could see the future and were trying to yeah, run the country. That's, that's when the church tried to take over. Got it. And then there's a skull at the bottom of the page, guys. That's where we are. What's at the top of the page, though? Two skulls. 
join together join together all right uh emily Ugh. we won't spend we I won't don't spend too long on this chapter this. so megan read all these to me i was dying the whole time she read this so um in order to prep for this current one it'd been like a week since she'd read them to me i read all the other chapters i did not reread this one because i couldn't so we're gonna tell you what happens really fast <sighs> i can't megan you tell it i can't do it so usually before something horrible happens in a story to a character, they will usually get a final, really great scene that reminds the audience how much we love this character and how great this all is. And it's to the point where when I'm watching a TV show and there's something like really cheerful happening or really funny, I'm like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen next. And this doesn't... That's not what happens in this chapter. I think this is a really good last good day where Cal is sitting on his roof during something called the weeping. So there's a space between high storms. And this part is easily predictable, unlike the frequency of the storms itself. But you have several weeks where it just drizzles all the time. It's called the weeping. There's no storm light. You can't recharge gems during this portion of the year. And Kaladin hates it because it it always gets him down. And he's just sitting on the roof looking up at the at the storm. And then Tien comes to climb up on the roof next to him. And Tien's been apprenticed to a carpenter. And he's very talented. He's made Kaladin like this beautiful little wooden horse. And it's carved just gorgeous. And Kaladin's like, he, he feels better even just looking at it. There's something I'm going to read here. How is it you can always smile, Kaladin thought. It's dreadful outside. Your master treats you like creme and your family's slowly being strangled by the city of Ward. And, let you, and yet you smile. How, Tien? And why is it that makes me want to smile too? And as the two brothers are sitting up on the roof in the rain, their mom comes up uh, and sits with them as well. And one of the reasons Kaladin's feeling so down is he feels like dad's given in to Rashon and he started spending the spheres but mom points out uh, that, listen, we spent one sphere on something we didn't even need. And Kaladin realizes, oh my gosh, we're doing this just to, like, just to distract Rashon, to make him think we're giving in. Because uh, since he lost his son, things with Rashon have, have continued to deteriorate. And Kaladin tries to convince his whole family that they should all go to, Car- to Carbronth. Not Carl Bronx, which I've also pronounced it like that, Emily, so don't feel bad. Um, And then dad comes outside as well. And it was just, it was a little sweet family scene, getting them all together, raising our hopes a little bit, and then the carriage comes. And we're going to jump over this fast because it's very sad. But uh, one of Rashon's connections, his cousin, I believe, Bright Lord Amaram, is here recruiting for the army. And we know that Kaladin fought in, in Bright Lord Amaram's army. And um, they need more people to come and fight. Not at the Shattered Plains, but like border disputes that they're, that they're currently having. A few men volunteer, but not enough. And Amaram says, okay, I have a list. And Rashon tells him, read the first three names and the last name sorry they don't tell him they tell the woman who's reading this out loud and tian's name is read out oh and like, you guys 
Um, because Liren was so focused on Kaladin and getting Kaladin to Carbron safely and making sure that Kaladin could get away to study. And legally, there's nothing that Rashon could do to take Kaladin away that they don't quite realize Tien is not legally needed in the town. He's like the third apprentice to a carpenter. His older brother is like spoken for. And so this is Rashon's way of taking away one of Liren's sons. And Tien, 13 years old, has to go to war. And everybody is shocked. And everyone clearly knows what's going on because Amaram's just like, are you serious? You want me to take this kid? I don't have time for your petty disputes. And Rashon yeah. is like, you will take this one. Ooh. And Amaram uh, tries to make the best out of the situation. He's like, listen, I'll make him a messenger boy. Uh, he won't be in the forefront of the fighting. Um, Amaram, but- you... Mm-hmm. Sorry, keep going. Nope, keep going. Sorry, don't let nope. me go on a what tangent. What were you going to say about Amaram? He, uh, he didn't have to take Tien. He has more power than Rashon. He correct. did not he have to do this. Uh, he was following the letter of the law. You could say he was being legal, but Stop it. ethical. No! Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hey, Emily, I want to introduce another watch to our watch list. Okay, hold on. Let me let me roll back my notebook really fast. Okay, I'm ready. Legal versus ethical. All right. All right. I got Cause, it. Because uh, you bring up an interesting point here of, yeah, you can work within the letter of the law and not be right. Mm-hmm. That decision that Cal has where, oh, yeah, I could kill one man if it was for the greater good. Keep an eye out for people doing that too. All right. So Kaladin decides he's Kaladin steps up to volunteer he's going to war as well uh Liren is freaking out that he's losing both of his sons and Kaladin turns to his parents and he's he like swears he's like I will I'll bring him home safe and Tian is just like thank you Kaladin thank you thank you thank you this little 13 year old kid is going off all alone and yeah Kaladin and Tien are going to war they leave in like 20 minutes they don't mm-hmm. even get, like, a week to prep. They have to go, like, right nope. now. Oh, uh, real fast. There's a new spren. Uh, rain spren. They look like ca- melting candles. But, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And, and like, Rashon gives everybody a look like, this is my revenge. And he got his revenge, but nothing has changed for him. He still doesn't have a son. Oh, and he's oh. apparently now engaged to Laurel. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Barf. Like, Laurel yeah. Laurel shows up to this, and she's wearing, like, I guess, like a like a promise. A bride's prayer. Yeah. Uh, yes. There's something sewn onto her sleeve, mm-hmm. and when it's finally burnt, it'll be the, the official engagement. Ugh. This man is disgusting. He's horrible. I was sick listening to this being read to me. I hated it so much. I hated it. Why do you look like that, Megan? No reason. <laughs> no reason. <laughs> okay. Do you think, because we know that Tien dies, mm-hmm. reading this book, would you rather know that Tien is going to die going into this, or would you rather just knowing something bad has happened but not being sure exactly what? Oh, I don't know. Because like you said, we do know. I think it's almost worse that we know. And mm-hmm. every interaction we have just like 
points home, like, this will not last. This is a very fleeting thing. And uh, I agree. Uh, hey, have we talked about Alfred Hitchcock's little example of how to build tension? I don't think we have on this. I do know what you're talking about, but I'm going to let you okay. say that. So. Um, so here's a scene without tension and a scene with tension, and they're both the same scene. And it's a dinner party. And the dinner party, you see everybody just talking for five minutes. And at the end of the scene, the room explodes. And that is surprise, but that's not tension. We do the same scene again, except at the beginning, we have a single camera shot of the bomb under the table. And we're just watching the scene and we're waiting for the horrible thing we know that's happening. And that introduces tension into the scene. And uh, I think plot twists and surprises and like shock can be effective storytelling, but I am much more into tension. <laughs> because I think Bill. I think a lot of people don't understand that and they just think this story has been like a story has been going on, going on, going on. And at the end of it, something comes out of left field that nothing was like foreshadowed or anything. And they're like, ha ha, I tricked you. And we're like, but that doesn't make any sense. And they're like, no, no, I tricked you. I'm amazing. And people are just left being very confused about like, why did this happen? Is this about the Game of Thrones? <laughs> yes. And <laughs> Doctor Who. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And Sherlock. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, jumping over to Doctor Who, there are seasons where this is used both effectively and poorly. Because uh, a scene where it's effective, I think, is uh, season one with Bad Wolf. Where I we love see that Bad one. Wolf in like uh, every few episodes. And we're like, what is that? Huh. And so it... It's this building question, and then we find out at the end of the season what Bad Wolf is, that it's a message from someone specific. Um, but a later season, uh, I think five and six both do this. Five, we see the crack in the world, and we will just cut back to literally a shot of this very specific crack in reality every single episode. And it's, this crack is everywhere. What is it? And I think that's a poor example, even though that's literally like, here's a picture of the bomb that's under the table and it's something bad's going to happen because uh, it ends up like at the end, we just hit a button and it resets the whole universe pretty much. And then in season six, spoilers for season six of Doctor Who, the very first episode to see the doctor get shot and killed. Um, and then the whole rest of the season is, what is this all about? And we just keep seeing like literal reminders of the scene that hey at the end of the season don't forget the doctor's going to be shot and killed tune in if you want to find out what that is and that i think is is an example of doing it poorly but i'm going to jump back to this book itself and emily <laughs> some examples from our podcast so I was, i've been re-listening to old episodes because we're so close to getting them posted online <laughs> we're so close we just rebranded a third time <laughs> uh you were talking about I don't know, this guy Khaled, he's talking about all these people who were dead, like Dalit and Sen and some guy named Tyrn, whoever that is. <laughs> <laughs> and we know that Tien is dead, and and Kaladin talking to Teft, is this a scene that's happened? Hey, has, has Kaladin mentioned? Yes. 
Yes. Cal- I don't think Kaladin's mentioned a brother to anybody. I think he has, though. But I won't say it out loud, but I'm pretty <laughs> okay. sure there's a moment where Kaladin mentions his brother to someone. And this has been a really effective storyline for building. Yes. Tension. And guess what, Emily? What? It's horrible. Oh, thank you, Megan. Thank you very much for that. Guys, I I may bow out of that chapter and Meg's just going to have to tell you what happens and I I can't. I cannot. So remember how earlier I was like, hey, if I'd been reading this or when I read this on my own, I think I either was going to lose interest or did lose interest about the time that like nobody really liked Kaladin and he was trying really hard to like be friends. I... At this point, knowing that Tien dies, I probably would have quit this book already because... Emily, you've got to stop quitting books. Again. I just... Oh, I don't know. Listen, if if you were drafted off to war, I would go with you. I would do this very same thing. I. It's going to be very difficult for me to read this. Very difficult. I'm just going to put that out there. Okay. You may just I'll, have to I'll paraphrase it. Just paraphrase it for me when it happens. When we get to the chapter, I will call you and I will say, paraphrase in two sentences what happens. Oh, I'm going to be reading this out loud. No, absolutely not. Absolutely All right. not. Tune in, listeners. We'll see what happens. Oof. It was rough. I'm going to storyboard it and make you watch. <laughs> when? When you're going to finish your other 19 projects? Oh, I'm so tired, you guys. (laughs) But I just finished an episode for the show I was on. I turned it in, and I start my new show on Monday. We're very excited about it. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to My Sister Made Me View It. (laughs) You just seem so inordinately pleased with yourself. I don't like it. I'm so excited for this. (laughs) Anyway, until then... I have to get back to cleaning my apples. (laughs) I do this thing where I'm up against a deadline where I just let everything go. And now it's the day after I've turned something in and it's all horrendous. (laughs) So I'm going to go brainstorm how I can get out of reading that chapter coming up. All right. Well, I believe in you. I believe in you. Ready? Break. Uh, Next week's reading. Uh, Oops. Next week, we are only covering two chapters. They're long, but just two. We'll be covering 45, Shadesmar, and 46, Child of Tanavast. And you may ask Megan, why two? It's because the week after that, we're going to be finishing off part three. So we've only got I don't like, like it. five chapters left in part three. <laughs> which again is called dying no <laughs> i don't like it i don't like it i don't like it but emily you know what happens when we reach the end of a part we get some what happens between part one and part two? Oh, we get seth we get some interludes you yes can look forward. you can look is... forward to those <laughs> the floor is painted <laughs> All right. Uh, This time I am really going to stop recording. Good luck lining those up with each other. (laughs) I will do my best. Bye.
you so much for tuning in to another episode of My Sister Made Me View It featuring Brandon Sanderson's The Way of Kings. Wow, we're tearing through the book. Um, so tonight, Emily and I are actually recording two different podcasts because we're recording the last two episodes of the whole podcast because we read like we recorded one and Emily's like I have to read what happens next now we're recording the other which is really exciting and I think you all are going to enjoy it when those episodes are finally released special thanks to Michael B and Cardi for use of his song A Passing Storm for our opener and closer if you think listening to Emily and I is a lot of fun you can catch us on our Roswell podcast which comes out a week from today Thursday January 27th and then we'll be back with another Way of Kings the Thursday after that. Check us out on all of our socials at Sis Made Me View It for really awesome photos of our pets. And until then, I believe in you. <laughs>